Uh, there's a priest uh, from the last century, pretty popular about it, uh, Fulton Sheen, Bishop Sheen. His cause for canonization is, is up, and they're working towards that. But he's a great writer, speaker, uh, priest. Uh, but one of the things he, he remarked on, an observation that he had, he said, you know, uh, chemically, uh, the stuff that makes up our bodies, like elements and minerals and all that stuff, uh, if you were to distill all that out and sell it, you know, just separate all the things out and things like, here, sell this, it, what you'd probably get, you know, is, you know, 20, 30 bucks. That's about physically, chemically, uh, minerally, uh, what our body's worth. It's not worth that much, our flesh. And he goes, but you know, uh, by virtue of our baptism, by virtue of the Spirit of God put into us, we are worth, each of us individually, not as a cumulative group or all of us together, but each of you, me, separately, are worth more than the whole universe. You are more valuable than the entire universe. That's just, think about that. That our flesh, because it's united with the Spirit of God through our baptism, has infinite value and dignity. How often do you think about yourself that way? It's like, hey, <laughs> I've got it going on. <laughs> so let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about that today. Now, we'll start with, with this reading from Genesis. It's weird that we have this reading from Genesis and Noah. And then this reading of Mark in in the uh, in Jesus in the desert with Satan, but there's a, there's a connection. Uh, you know, uh, Adam and Eve had the Spirit of God breathed into them, and they shared friendship with God. They could look at God face to face. God shared with them all all His work until they sinned and they lost it. They lost this dignity. They lost this infinite value. They lost this friendship. And, and, and what happened as a result of they got expelled from the garden, sin multiplied to the extent that God says, I'm done with you people. You're a mess. I'm starting over. And so just as the waters that covered the earth before creation, now God covered, recovers the, uh, the, water, you know, the, the waters come back over the earth and destroys everything except this miniature Eden, this rescue operation, this ark with these eight people, no one his family, and then all the wild beasts. So God... Redoes creation with his family, this righteous guy and his family. And, and they come out, they, they, they land on the mountain. And what's the first thing that Noah does when he gets out of, off the boat? Is he takes one of these animals on his boat, wild beast, and he kills it and burns it. And all this smoke goes up to God on an altar. And he, his first thing to do was worship. Right? Here's, here's Noah. His first response to God saving him is to reach up to God. And thanksgiving. And like solicitude and say, Continue to save us and help us. But what does God do in response to Noah's act of worship? God reaches down to us, reaches down to Noah. How? There's that, that, that thing in, in Genesis where he says, God hung his, his bow in the sky, and when it rained, you could see it. So we know, we know that's a rainbow. So the sign of God's reaching out to us, reestablishing friendship, pursuing that reintegration of body and spirit that we lost through sin is to show us this rainbow. Now, why a rainbow? Because if you ever look at a rainbow, 
after it rains and you see it, especially if it's a good one, and it's like it comes it comes down. But you see, it like looks like it touches the earth somewhere. You don't know where. And it really doesn't, but optically, it's like, hey, that thing, that, that thing is, there's a pot of gold over there somewhere. You know, <laughs> I gotta find the end of the rainbow. It's touching the earth. So, so Noah in worship reaches up to God in thanksgiving and solicitude. God reaches down to earth, coming down to touch us and to reestablish us by, you know, in the waters of the earth is a sign of baptism. Through baptism, God is gonna reestablish us in that spirit of his love and give us back our dignity and infinite value. Not, and, and he's going to do it in our bodies. See, our, our, our flesh with the spirit, the spirit of God. That's where our infinite value comes from. So God is foreshadowing, and Genesis was foreshadowing something else. And we, then we look at Mark, the shortest of the accounts of uh, the temptation in the desert, but sufficient for our purposes today because I want to focus that, you know, Jesus goes into the desert to do battle with Satan and to be victorious at the threefold concupiscence, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life that Adam lost in the garden through sin. Now Jesus is going to go and, and take back in, in the desert and he's victorious. But here's the cryptic line, the enigmatic line, the most important line in this gospel. And he was among the wild beasts and the angels ministered to him. That's, isn't that weird? But, go back to, to, to Noah. What was going on? What was on that boat? What, what did he sacrifice when he got off the boat? What was there in that new Eden on the top of the mountain with his family, but the wild beasts, the animals? And what is God doing? He is coming down and he's taking care of them. He's ministering to them. So, Noah is pointing to the desert, is pointing to something even greater that takes place before the desert, and that is the incarnation. In the incarnation, God comes down to us and without losing any of his glory, imparts to us his divine life and raises us up to infinite dignity in Jesus Christ and gives us a share in his divine, eternal life in the resurrected life. That's where our infinite value comes from. So, Jesus, with the wild beasts, and in the desert, is doing something utterly physical and utterly spiritual, utterly bodily, utterly spiritual, body and spirit. We can't separate those two. And when we do, we get into trouble. Like we, I say, oh, I, I, just like, I just want to pray. And I want to live in my head, in my heart, and I want to live out this spirituality that is utterly devoid of any kind of practicality or human contact any kind of service or any kind of discipleship or any kind of evangelization, any kind of physicality. I just want to you know, live in the clouds. Ooh, that's, that's not what we're here for. That's, one, that's like just locked in the spirit. But then there's this other thing where we just say, I just want to live in, this, in the physical. I want to be hedonist. I just want to have self-gratification. That's all I want. It's all about me. And this, this gospel day is about reintegrating our bodies with our spirits, the spirit with our body, so that we can live out our ultimate dignity and power, you see. So, you know, um, like somebody will say, I am, have you ever heard this before? Tell me if you've heard this before. You know, people who, who don't practice their faith, 
They say, I'm spiritual, but not religious. Have you ever heard this before? This little canard? Uh, it, it's, it's, uh, it doesn't work. Why? Because uh, it's saying, yes, I want, I want to live out the spirit, but on my own terms, uh, I, don't want the, I don't want the physical part. Because when you say you're spiritual, but not religious, you're saying, I, I'm going to live out a spiritual life on my own terms without recourse to the physical. Why the physical? Because that's what the church is. That's what the mass is. That's what the sacraments are. That's the, that's the physical, spiritual aspect of our faith. And so think about Augustine. And so like the spiritual, not religious. Somebody says that to you next time, just say, no, you're just lazy and don't want to go to church. All right? That's what you're saying. I don't want to mean to offend anybody, but that, yeah, that's, that's a, just a good tagline for you to remember. Um, now, but Augustine was like that. Augustine was this dualist. He was this Manichaeist. And he just like, ah, he's searching and he's looking and he's saying, the flesh is bad, the spirit is good. How do I figure this out? No, the flesh is good. The spirit is good. And they're supposed to be together. And the flesh with the spirit, that's where it gets its greatness. And he finally discovered it. And, you know, he, and he had this great moment of inspiration. He said this, uh, you flashed, speaking to God, you flashed, you shone, you broke through my blindness. You shouted, you broke through my, my deafness. You, I, I tasted you, and now I, I hunger for more. Uh, you breathe your fragrance on me, and I pan for you. You touch me, and I burn for your peace. What's going on there? You, you, you flash, sight, you shouted, hearing, I tasted, taste, uh, you breathe your fragrance, smell, you touch me, touch, it's the five senses, it's the body. Augustine discovered God's love and his vocation and the life and the spirit through his flesh. All It's like Manly Hopkins says, all creation uh, shouts the glory of God. It's like shook and shining foil, shaken and shining up at us. The world is charged with the grandeur of God. The physical is charged with the grandeur of God. The physical mediates grace. The sacraments mediate grace. That through physical signs, we get to receive God's love, which gives our flesh infinite dignity and gives us the power to go and live the life God calls us to live with joy. Don't you know? And it's like, you know, we buried my dad a, a week ago. God rest his soul. He's the best, best guy. And, uh, and in the homily, you know, I, was, I was talking about how we lived his faith. And it occurred to me, that's how everybody's supposed to live their faith. And that's, my dad was no saint, I'll tell you that right now. And, and, and I, you know, but he had an idea, he and my mom, how to live out their faith. That was beautiful. And it's what we're all called to do. And, and you probably do it, and you don't even know you're doing it. Listen to this. That a faith that is not ethereal, pie in the sky... Oh, uh, or uh, a faith that is just, you know, I'll do what I want on my own terms. And, you know, I don't need the church or the sacraments. It's, it's, this, it's this thing which is together. My parents, you, had, have a, uh, let's say, a, a faith that is um, practical. This is what I said in the homily. Practical, powerful, joyful, pragmatic, hands-on, relevant, Never overly pious, not dour and drudgery, not sad, not mopey, but thoroughly uh, filled with compassion, mercy, forgiveness, excitement, joy, 
And the fact that God has chosen us, put his life in us, and now he gives us the power to go out and look at every aspect of our life as a moment of grace. Everything, every moment of our lives has a capacity to show us God's love. And even when we screw up and make mistakes, like how many of you are sitting here thinking, I know, but I'm a mess and I do this and I do that. I, you know, I ate meat on Friday and I, I, I had a glass of wine even though I said I wasn't going to do it for Lent or yeah, I watched golf on TV and I said I was going to give up screens. So what? Put it away. Start over. Every moment mediates God's love, the Eucharist, confession, 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 uh, our sacramental life, marriage, holy orders, anointing, confirmation, baptism, uh, all of it. The church itself, our, how we pray, how we interact with each other, our gifts, our talents, our fertility, our, our sexuality, our money, our, our possessions, our entertainment, what we listen to, what we watch, what we eat, what we drink, everything is an occasion of grace. The physical life, because of our baptism, can mediate God's love. And we need to remember that, especially when we're discouraged or we think we don't have anything going on. Brothers and sisters, Jesus lived in the physical. He came down and took on our flesh without losing any of his glory. He has imparted to us his divine life and raised us up to infinite dignity. You are worth more than the whole universe. You have a vocation. You have a calling. It's Lent. Get after it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Nice.